the frames. Music, movies, culture, and faith. Featuring your hosts, John Gibson and Joel Flores. Hey there, welcome to Between the Frames. I'm your host, John Gibson, joined by Joel Flores. And we are here to talk about Between the Frames. What's between the frames, and um, I think uh, our regular listeners probably remember that we had talked towards the end of last year, and I think in the first couple episodes this year about um, looking a little bit at music. You know, one of the things that both Joel and I have in common and have are kind of fanatical about, I guess, is is music. So, 2022, we're gonna. I think some of the transition will probably be looking at movies about music, which will lead us to some other conversations and discussions um, about movies. So we're, or I mean, about music. So um, today we're we're going to do one of those episodes where we're going to look at a film that's really centered on on music, and um, we'll see where that takes us. Uh, in upcoming episodes as well. Um, if you're not a jazz fan, then you may not be a fan of this movie, but um, the movie is called Whiplash. I can't wait. Uh, it, this came out of this came out of talking about J. Jonah Jameson. That's right, Spider Man. Yeah. yeah, and and I the versatility. Of course, we we also mentioned in a past episode that um, J.K. Simmons, who plays um, Fletcher, Terrence Fletcher, the, the professor in this movie, Whiplash, was also, yeah, J. Jonah Jameson and Spider-Man movies and had a very, very brief uh, role in the Ghostbusters Afterlife movie as um, that old dude. What was, what was his name again? I'm totally drawing a blank, man. Like, too many things clouding my brain. But um, anyway, the guy that was mentioned by... Uh, as the architect back in uh, the original Ghostbusters, I guess, or Ghostbusters 2. Oh, uh, Evo Shandor. Evo yeah, Shandor. there it is, Evo Shandor. Sorry, I was I was drifting into looking at some of our information here, and then I was like, okay, I, I know if you if you name it, I'll get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, man, I got to pick up on that one a little bit. No, 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 it's all good. Um, so yeah, Whiplash came out. <sighs> trying to remember what year I want to say it was 2013 so it's it's coming up on a, a decade of uh, this this film um, that's craziness um, JK Simmons is is a professor in it the the two main characters here are you know JK Simmons who plays Terrence Fletcher a, a prestigious professor at a Schaefer conservatory um, and uh, I, I realized in watching this movie that my boys didn't, or at least my my younger of my two boys, don't, didn't know what a conservatory was. So I had to explain that to him. But um, oh, you just tell them it's in Clue. It's in the movie Clue, the con- uh, the book, <laughs> or not the book, the right, movie, right. The, the, the game, the conservatory, right. the conservatory, <laughs> right? Um, okay, if you have a conservatory in your house, uh, yeah. You don't yeah. have any problems. Yeah, I'll be your friend. Right? <laughs> 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 yeah, so J.K. Simmons um, plays Terrence Fletcher and Miles Teller, which who I think at this point was still somewhat of a newcomer. Uh, I mean, he hadn't been in a ton of movies when this one came out, but um, I think he proved his chops uh, a lot here. Um, 
Teller, I mean, yeah, Miles Teller plays Andrew Neiman, who, or Nyman, who um, is a first year student at uh, Schaefer Conservatory. And he's in one of the studios drumming. He, um, Terrence Fletcher walks in and, you know, even though you've not had the backstory at that point, uh, you, Andrew says, yeah, when Fletcher says, hey, do you know who I am? Andrew says, yes. And so obviously his, his reputation has preceded him to the point that Andrew knows. And, um, and you know, right from the get-go, you see <laughs> the kind of character and personality that, uh, that Terrence Fletcher has. And um, so, and then occasionally through the movie, um, Paul Reiser of Mad About You fame um, is uh, is the is Tarrant, uh, is Andrew Nyman's dad, so um, he kind of plays a a decent uh, what's the word I was gonna say side character, but that's not what I, supporting role. There we go. Um, so um, and you know through the course of the film, uh, there's some uh, wild themes about. Um, what it takes to to be great, um, and on both sides of the coin, like both as a musician slash artist, and also as the one who's trying to train and raise up and push that artist as well. So, um, yeah, it's a I I told my um, my middle guy who plays baseball that he may get triggered in this film because of the way that that Terrence Fletcher acts um I mean he's he's definitely uh a very abusive not well I guess even physically right he slaps he slaps um Andrew in the face a few times uh when he's trying to get him to figure out whether he's dragging or or speeding up um, so he's a physically, emotionally, uh, mentally abusive man, um, who has a very distinct personality about him. Yeah. So this movie is directed, uh, well, written and directed by Damien Chazelle, Chazelle who, yep. um, yeah, who this is kind of the precursor. I was gonna. It's fun that you have this in here. I, I was just realizing, um, La La, La, Land, La Land. I love that yes. movie. Yeah, we could we could do a whole musicals episode. But anyway, um, I like that it's kind of that precursor, and it apparently comes from you know mimicking uh, somewhat uh, a teacher experience he had, you know, yep. musically speaking. Yeah, and I think the first thing that grabs my attention, John, is, um, you know, as someone who played sports and music, um kind of intensely when I was younger, especially on the classical piano side, I, you know, I think we've all experienced coaches like this or, um, (laughs) teachers teachers that wanted to get the best out of you, uh, uh, whether it was right or wrong. And there is, there is a limit to pushing, but I think you can really relate to that. Oh goodness. Just kind of being pushed to your limit, you know? Um, and where is the healthy balance in that? I know that's a question that you definitely bring up as we look at it, you know, how much is too far? Um, you know, because there, there is a sense that, you know, there's a quote here. What, what does Fletcher say? The, the worst phrase in the English language is good job, you know, or the most harmful. Right. And, oh yeah. You know, obviously it's very, it's very cynical, but meaning I, I think more throwing, 
you know, hey, that, that was pretty good. You know, um, I, I actually deal with somebody on a regular basis where we have a debrief meeting and we'll be like, well, so how do you think that this went? Like, we really want to have a critical unpacking and someone on our leadership team will be like, oh, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. Everything was good. I thought the message was good. And we're like, I'm sitting there going, yeah, I got about five things I want to bring up from <laughs> <laughs> whether it's me personally or whatever. And I go, if it's always just a good job, the whole thing could be, you know, we got the point across, we had a success, but if everything's just, it's always good. It's just good. It's always good. You know, really there's truth to that and that you can't mm-hmm. grow. There's no critical right. self analysis because right. nothing's ever perfect all the time. Sure. Dude, right. Oh, sure. And even, you know, even musically, especially musically, I mean, in the jazz world, in the classical world, whatever it may be, symphonic, you know, I mean, there's a lot of pressure to, there's a lot of pressure to be, especially when you're trying to go for it professionally Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, to fit the bill. And I remember John, I felt a bit of that pressure. It sounds crazy, but when we went down to Australia and I went to Hillsong college, Mm -hmm. it was a pretty intense music environment in the arts. It was, you know, not, not too unsimilar to the, you know, a Juilliard setting or mm-hmm. something. Um, you know, you're there with very talented musicians and singers. And I remember we had to do an intense theory class first, or a pre pre class to where they put you in your groups. And I was like, oh my gosh, here I am. I have my masters and everything, and I'm sitting here like mm-hmm. sweating, doing the- theory for dummies, right? And yeah. and uh, y- you know, I realized they don't tell you what groups you get put in, but you get put in with grouping with other vocalists and musicians based uh-huh. on how you did. So okay. I never realized it till about halfway through that I was one in one of the very high groups. But then actually there was someone who dropped out of a different tutorial. We called them tutorials. And I actually got moved in. I focused on guitars. I didn't do any mm-hmm. singing then. Okay. Um, yeah. And I got moved into that band and that was actually our top class. And I, I didn't That's know awesome. this, but, um, What's what's neat is I'm still good friends with uh, my instructor to this day. He was one of the guys that played on a, on a number of the albums, and he was mm-hmm. a teacher there. Actually, now he's gone to Oxford and done his master's in theology. And oh, actually, wow. now he's here in New Brunswick, dude. I, I helped him get a job at a university here teaching. Uh, it's not Nigel, at, like, is it? Uh, Christian liberal arts. Not not Nigel. It's um, his name's Isaac Soon. He's actually okay. from, he's played on the albums with mm-hmm. Nigel, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaac uh, actually put down music. He's he still does it, but he put down a career in that, and he's right. amazing. Wow! And actually went fully into the stuff he's teaching. I, I got to hook you guys up because you'd really like him. Anyway, <laughs> he and his family moved here, oh, and that's cool. you know um, we've stayed connected, and we, you know, and we're good friends. Anyway, my point that I'm making about all this is it is a very stressful environment because I remember John, mm. our our exams would be. Um, okay, you're going to do a performance. You have um, one hour to learn Changes by David Bowie, and you have to have it memorized in one hour and perform it. Oh, my gosh. Um, there's four There's four time signature changes in that song. <laughs> I'm leading the band, and you can't use sheet music when you perform it. Then the vocalists Ooh. all leave, and they have to memorize all the lyrics, and then they have to perform yep. it. They have to come up with a performance. The point is it was band learns, you right. know, and, yeah. and we would do all these different kind of songs that were not straightaway songs. They were, you know, it could be the Commodores or Earth, Wind and Fire or whatever it was. And here we are playing and, you know, we pulled them off, man, but they were stressful. I remember oh, sitting I'm there sure. and I'm, I'm leading the band and I'm like, you know, if it wasn't for the level of the other musicians, it was like, 
you know, you're sweating. And we had kind instructors, but I could imagine mm-hmm. being in this environment Ugh. where you have somebody like, no, and that was yeah. behind that you're off in the wrong tempo uh, and wrong measure and blah, 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 you know. Yeah. And, oh, my um, gosh. Yeah. Uh, well, honestly. So we've I all mean, been in yeah. that pressure cooker. Yeah. And, and, and you know, to be, to be frank and honest, like one of the reasons why I hesitated from doing anything major with music in my career was because – I was always fearful that, like, I have a love and a passion for music, and I, you know, I enjoy mm-hmm. playing it. But, but like, sometimes when you take something that is a passion of yours, and it becomes all of a sudden you, you that's your way of making money, um, it changes the thing dramatically. At least to me, it does. And so, I, when I first became a, a pastor, I was a worship pastor, and um, I was very, very hesitant to jump into that because I was like, man, I've just done music for fun up to this point. And, I, I, you know, I'm not as accomplished you know, a guitar player as you are, Joel, but like I enjoyed it. And, um, and there were times. songwriter and, and all those things, right? Yeah. Well, there, there were just times where I was like, man, I, I don't know if I made the right decision. I didn't know if I made the right decision. And I think, you know, one of the things to think through, too, is not only that, when we, when we have to make decisions about, like, a passion or whatever in your life, but, like, do, do I have the chops? I mean, throughout this movie, one of the things we see... Yeah, definitely. With Andrew is the fact that he has to make sacrifices for the decisions he makes. Like he sits down with this girl that he's dating and has gotten close to and um, and basically breaks up with her and says, like, you're going to keep me from being the best. I mean, he doesn't say that um, from a like he's I don't like he intention. He's not intentionally trying to hurt her. But he is solely like laser focused on I want to be the best and anything that's going to keep me from being the best needs to be expunged, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, that happens to us. Right. And again, it happens in anything that you're striving for. It could be art. It could be. Uh, um, you know, definitely it comes up in sports. It could be, you know, wanting to be at the top of your class in, in medical school or whatever it is. Right. I, I mean, there's this pressure, whatever environment you're in, that's really intense like that. I can imagine, you know, doctors to be going through this lawyers, uh, you know, even teachers like trying to come out at the top of the food chain and, and, you know, music's one of those things where you either you either have it or you don't. And if you have it, you can work on it. But there is a limit, right? There there becomes a limit that you can, you know, not everybody's. Um, I was just watching Ray as we're talking about watching mm-hmm. movies about music. I'm starting to pull up a bunch of different ones. You know, you, you think about Ray Charles, man. Not only was it something for fun, but he. I mean, there's just a guy when he had to discover his sound. So what's interesting mm-hmm. about that story, and I won't get into it too much, is he's 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 making a living because he can't see. He's making a living mimicking other people really well. He can sing mm-hmm. Nat King Cole. He can sing all these different people, and, and because he's going to get paid. And he makes this statement where he where they're like, you know, what's your sound? And his wife's like, you got to come up with your sound. And he goes, but I, you need to understand, like, 
like, this is how I make a living and I'm good at it and it's pretty comfortable. And he goes, there's not a lot of options for, for a blind man. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There's not a lot yeah. of options for me. If, if, what if I fail? What if I fall on my face? It's not like I can go and do something else. So, but when he starts to discover his sound, you know, it's, it's world changing, really. It's musical yeah. changing. And, you know, you think about the James Brown story, man. Mm-hmm. One of the things that blew me away is just how in his head, he knew how everything, even even untrained in areas, mm-hmm. he knew what he wanted to hear, the time, all that offbeat stuff, w- yep. what symphonically the band was doing. He just knew how it worked, and he could tell if you weren't. That's what reminds me of this J.K. Simmons character is that's how James Brown ran his band. Right. And you would get in big trouble if you were off or whatever. And, and you think about it, though some of the most brilliant things have come out of that that's revolutionized like people don't realize that James Brown's take on soul moving mm-hmm. into a, a realm of funk changed the landscape for oh, like gosh. four to five different genres yeah. that developed after it right mm-hmm. and then you know it, and you look at that in the same way and and Michael Jackson was the same way oh yeah and he Good loved time. James Brown Michael Jackson was the same way where he could hear and see, you know, everything. And there's, there's a lot of the people who are at the top Prince of the game. There's too. a lot of people yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Prince definitely. But there's guys like that are part of traditional bands that we know that are like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether they're guitar players or whatever that, you know, they can just, they can hear and see everything in front of them. And so it's this idea of there, there's, there is a threshold, like some people, they're just prodigious. Yep. And then to do this, it just takes them to another level. But there are people who um, can be gifted or have a good ability, but will never be. Able, it's the same thing athletically, right? Like, yep. I was pretty athletic as a kid, but I knew really early, like, I'm not going to the NFL or anything. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. um, baseball, I told you this before. Baseball was one of those things. I think if I didn't really hurt my back, I actually had a chance mm-hmm. um to move pretty far with it, but I took on some injuries and that kind of stuff. But yeah. other than that, like, you know, yeah. I mean, I play basketball for fun. I golf for fun, you know? And, and so there, there's a threshold where we know, but the danger, what his quote says here, the worst is a good job. There's mm-hmm. a danger today, John, that we are such a society that you'd know this. I mean, man, Tucker and his talent with baseball, you see this probably where you're like, man, these parents are pushing these people too hard because there's like no chance there. <laughs> you know, yeah. we see it in hockey here. These Ugh. kids are not, man, out of all right. these hundreds of kids that get up at 4 a.m. on Saturdays and travel all over the place, you know, man, like 1% is mm-hmm. maybe going to go on and play university or yes. something like that. And it's yeah. like at some point you have to stop and go, OK, when is it now just going to be recreational or when are we like throwing our whole life away for 30 years? Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah. This, right. And, and I think that, you know, there's two questions that parents should probably ask themselves in that, like when they see their kid and like, is there potential here? You know, the first one is like, just because you see potential, does your kid really want to do this? I mean, and then right. the second the right. second question is like, did I do this before? And is that why I'm pushing my kid to do this? Because I, uh, I my experience, I mean, I'm, I would. Or did I not do it? And I always wanted to. Yes. And now I'm pushing them yes. because my parents didn't let me. Well, and I'll tell you, oh, man, I'll full disclosure, man, I will be forthright and honest here in that like I don't even know how I was in baseball because my parents had made a decision early on that baseball always gets played on Sunday and you're not going to miss church so you're not going to play baseball and so like I I mean if my parents were still alive they'd hear all my 
frustration with the and the fact that I've probably gone the complete opposite direction with my kids and all the prohibitions. But you, you know, I I think it's really important to ask those questions and to see like, am I trying to live vicariously through my kid? Am I trying to um, push a passion on my kid that um, that I don't or that I have and they might not have? And is is it something that they're even interested in, you know? And, and that's where I think, again, what whiplash really brings up is where's the line? And, um, y- you know, I definitely don't know that the same line exists for everyone, but I do know when that line has been breached, you know, and um, which we see in, uh, in Terrence Fletcher here. I mean, the guy's a complete jerk. I mean, occasionally you see these glimpses of humanity in him, but even in that, like he's lying. I mean, he, he, he conveys it in a very um, selfish kind of self-promotional way. I mean, one of the big, big moments in the film where you see Fletcher really um, show emotion is when he's gotten a phone call that a former student has died. Well, the story he tells the class or his band is that he died in a car accident. What we find out later on is that actually since Terrence Fletcher was this guy's teacher and he like dropped out of school and whatever, he has struggled with depression, he struggled with anxiety, and he eventually hangs himself by suicide. And so, I mean, and gosh, I hope we, I hope none of our listeners have had people like this in their lives, but the reality is we probably have. In some way, shape, or form, you've experienced a coach or a teacher I, I pray to God, not a parent or a pastor, but unfortunately, if, if you listen to Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, then you know yeah, that, that's right. um, that even in the church, uh, there are people who who are like this and um, and will push. Absolutely. I think I think in the I think in the creative circles and in. You know, especially very large churches that are very not that I'm not downing it. I'm saying, but they're very production driven. Sure. If you're not careful, you know, anything that's at a high level, you know, like you're working behind the scenes and you're really, you know, working to bring something. It's intense and it's intense for volunteers. It it can burn people out. It can hurt them. It can push them away. What I'm seeing is a huge fallout from churches because Mm -hmm. of abuse in the church and not a physical sexual abuse, but like a. Just right. an emotional, emotional spiritual yep. abuse and abuse of power and abuse of, of, of their, you know, t- um, using people and spitting them out. And mm-hmm. then you have a whole bunch of churches who wish they had like anybody <laughs> to, to come help right. them and, sure. you know, to volunteer. And so there's this whole dichotomy. But, John, you're absolutely right. I mean, Andrew, the main character, the, the other thing you need to remember is he's willing to do whatever it takes to yes. succeed. And there's yep. that spirit and the motivation behind that and they're extra susceptible because you can 
I mean, they're the kind of people you can push to make their knuckles bleed. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Oh, like, right. There's, how many stories do we see of this where they're willing to do anything and everything? And part of it is, too, is he also wants, you know, it's that daddy issues thing, too, right? Like, he yes. wants the recognition of he has done something well. Just mm-hmm. tell me once that was yeah. good. Even it was just, I think there is that one point where he says to him, you know, that was all right. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or yeah, pretty good. Yeah, and it was like you can you can float on that for you know have a hundred times of you stink, and yeah. that one time, and it, it it speaks of what is our motivation? What is you know? And for someone who is in power, mm-hmm. someone who's a leader or in power, and especially in this music realm, yeah, if they are on an ego trip, especially if they're highly gifted and on an ego trip, which his yeah. Fletcher kind of was, you are you know, hunting down these kind of people because, you know, it's power, right? Holding power over people. And it's a dangerous place to be, man. And I've seen it happen where you just, what, what, you know, man, like how many, how many books or stories or films have we seen or read that we've, we've seen that, you know, the side character, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a goofy one, right? (laughs) But Jafar, when we think about like, Jafar and uh, you know what was the parakeet played by um, Iago uh, Gilbert Godfrey Diago. Iago yeah Gilbert Iago. Godfrey Jafar yeah. I'm gonna give him some crackers no but you think about it like they always have that sidekick character who's always trying to be that was a really silly example always trying to be you know True. whether it's like the vampires familiar because they want to get turned or whatever it is right. they're always kissing up to them trying to be and and really that person or that leader or whoever it is that boss. They don't care about them. Right. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, to, to go back to a past episode, too, when you say that about sidekick characters and somebody who, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if I was hearing you correct or not, but, like, my first thought goes to um, Ted Lasso and and how that, like, second season ends with... Um, Nathan? Nathan. Yeah, Nathan. And the fact that you see these people who who are hungry... I mean, they are hungry in a not in a healthy kind of way. To and I, I think that's what we yeah, you see. Think it is at first, but then you see it unfold. Yes, right, in that well, story. and that's the thing is like there's a line, and you know I think we see lines crossed by both the main characters in Whiplash, both Andrew in his obsession to be the best, and in Fletcher of his obsession to find the best. And I, I think yeah, there's yeah. there's something to be said there, too, about Fletcher. Like, you know, later on in the film, you see Fletcher's, like, playing in a nightclub and whatever. And, and he, you know, he plays well. But, like, you've got to wonder if part of the driving force behind Fletcher in this movie is that he didn't get to... He wasn't the next Charlie Parker. And so he is going to be so obsessed about finding the next par- Charlie Parker just in the same way that Neiman is obsessed in being the next Charlie Parker, you know? Right. And there's a bit of envy mixed in that and resentment too. Right. And it, and it speaks to, he's trying to live vicariously through that next student. It's like the parent, 
you know, this is this is a this is a trope of humanity. I mean, this happens over and over and mm-hmm. over again, right? And we're all susceptible if we're not careful. And and it applies to our areas. It might be you're going to be a great student because I was a great student, and you better be. Or you're going to be a great student because I wasn't. And if you're not, then it, it could be anything. You know what yes. I mean? It could be. Oh, yeah. um, yep. You're you're gonna you're gonna be a big reader, and if you're not a big reader, then you you know we we push all kinds of things on people mm-hmm. if we're not careful about this. And I think that that's an important warning and cautionary tale. And you're right. Andrew is so obsessed with being the best and he wants him to be the best. And and it's not, neither of them are for the right reasons because really what Andrew needed was someone who was highly gifted and talented, but was a great mentor to him who Mm -hmm. spotted that saw it, you know, from our last episode, Logan an Xavier type who, Mm -hmm. who was able to come alongside and mentor and temper and get the best out of someone. You know what I yes, mean? Draw yes. the best out of someone. Yep. Yeah. Well, and you know, one of the things that Fletcher does in his abuse of everything is, um, you know, I've said before that knowledge is power. And, uh, I think what Fletcher does is he, he uses knowledge as manipulation. And so, hey, he gets this information about Andrew, finds out that his mom left his dad. And in a, in a, what seems to be a, sh- a show of kindness, compassion, and empathy, Andrew shares this stuff with him. And then not, you know, 30 minutes later, Fletcher turns it around and... Um, and and basically uses it and weaponizes it. And I, I mean, I'll tell you what, if you've ever been in that situation before where you in confidence had shared information with somebody and then they turn around and weaponize that information, I, I mean, that's brutal. That's one of the most brutal relational things that I've ever experienced before is when people have done that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Well, it's a betrayal, right? It's a total betrayal of your trust. And, and then what do they say? It takes, it takes years to build. It takes so much time to build, uh, you know, confidence and trust and integrity. Right. And it can all be lost in the flash of a second. Right. And so that's, that's such a key part of this film too. And again, I think it's so relational whether you're a musician or not. I think if you've done anything at a serious level, dance is another one of those things. Ballet is another one of those things. I mean, you know, there's a reason why so many of those, um, so many dancers in general Mm -hmm. go through so many different kinds of disorders and mental and, and, you know, eating disorders and things. There's so much pressure to look and be a certain way. And, and, and I feel for people in these crafts because, you know, it, it can it can destroy you if you don't have a solid foundation. And yes. even if you do, it's difficult. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that's what that's that's I mean, that's a, a biblical principle there when when Christ is talking and he's he gives the parable of building the house on on solid foundation mm-hmm. and not on sand. Right. Yep. I mean, everybody yep. knows you don't do that because it can be washed away. I mean, listen, 
when the hurricanes are coming or a bit bad nor'easter, who who's really concerned about it? <laughs> It's right. the people who have the nice beach houses on the beach. Oh, right. Totally. And, you know, I, I mean, not to make fun of that. I totally want to live there. But, you know, it's that risk, right, that that yeah. you yeah. that you will have trouble because the floods will come. So that idea of if you don't have strong foundations and then if you have somebody who's predatory, who's recognizing that you're damaged and mm-hmm. then they come after you, that yes. is like a, I mean, that is just, you know, because to give Andrew a little bit of credit, I mean, he's young. He's, right. he's still a oh, kid, yeah. you know, yep. a squeaker. And, and a so squeaker he's developed. He's yep. he's developing yep. and looking for that purpose, looking for that recognition. And, you know, at the end of at the end of it all, that's not going to be the thing that defines him. And I think that's what we mm-hmm. need to remember is is all of your accomplishments, you know. And then what? becomes right. my you know becomes my thought it, and john i'm, I'm going to touch on this because i know you're a fan and this is not any um not any negativity but i've been thinking about this recently there's no denying tom brady is probably one of the greatest mm-hmm. players ever and if not quarterback for sure and you know he was somebody who was totally looked over i always laugh at that when everybody's talking about the drafts and they're like right you gotta pick so and so in the draft i'm like a uh, high like, you know, uh, how about Tom, who is like looked over by everybody? I'm sure they're all kicking themselves. You know what I right. mean? And, sure. and there's plenty of players like that. I think about, uh, you know, other people I've seen who weren't necessarily the top and they developed well into these these potential. Right. My point is, is I, I keep thinking about Tom and they're like, when is he going to retire? When is he going to retire? And I'm like, you know, I can't speak for him. But for myself, I've been honest. I've said this. I go mm-hmm. for myself. It's like. Look, nobody's going to break any of these records. He he's won everything. I mean, yeah, he can keep playing, but at some point, I think to myself, doesn't he just want to be a dad? Right. Like, go invest <laughs> or do something else. You know, and that's one of the things. Like we joke about it, but one of the things I've admired about Eli Manning is actually watching him. Like he just loves being with his kids and yeah. coaching their little league teams. And and at some point, I would think for him, I hope he gets to that place. That's actually right. what I'm rooting for: is that right. Tom will actually hang it up because. Eventually, John, I, I feel like he's going to be in his 60s and look back and go, OK, I won all these things. I have all my rings. I've accomplished everything that nobody's really going to touch. But did I sacrifice time with my yeah. kids? Did I blow that opportunity? You know yeah. what I mean? And I mean that as not I don't mean that as a hater. I mean that. Ah, legitimately. No, no. Absolutely. That's what I've been thinking about. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. I'm like, OK, at what point do you just like, you know what? I'm just going to because he definitely doesn't need the money and right. he can invest in so many other ways he could he could still be involved in football. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the Eli Manning show, but it's hilarious. Like everybody watches that, whether they like them or not. And it's this, you know, he does this great show that he hosts and they, they do Monday night football together and all that stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm sure he misses the game, but at the same time, it's like, you know what time to hand off the keys and, 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 you know, anything that's competitive, anything we're good at, yeah. There can be that question of when is it time to stop or, you know, right. get off the train, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, and again, another Ted Lasso, you know, connection. Think about what the the journey of Roy Kent in Ted Lasso, right? Same thing. Like all of us have Absolutely. to come to that place where I mean, the old the old adage and and song lyric about better to burn out than to fade away, right? But like uh, well, what you know, we got to make a choice. Like what what are we willing to sacrifice in order to get what we want? And when it when it crosses that line to obsession, and it's an unhealthy kind of obsession. I mean, to to the point like that you'd made earlier too. That you know there are predatory characters out there who are looking for ways to exploit and use people 
because, you know, hey, like, look at Andrew's background. He's young, like you said, and Terrence Fletcher calls him a squeaker, and he's lot, he, he doesn't have a mom. His dad is has kind of what Fletcher insinuates is that his dad has settled into mediocrity, basically. Like, oh, he's a writer. Oh, what does he write? Oh, no, he's a teacher, actually. Oh, where does he teach? What college? No, he teaches high school. So, like, it, you can see where Fletcher's mind is in that conversation, that he's got this expectation that's really high, and he really, based upon his response to what Andrew says about his dad and what what Fletcher uses against him later, like your dad's worthless basically. And so I think again, you know that everything Fletcher says is intentional and he is intentionally trying to, you know, push the buttons of Andrew in this film to get him to be the next, probably buddy rich. If you want to make a, a apples to apples, you know, um, correlation yeah, absolutely there. um and you know you can tell throughout the film um andrew is you know he's listening to buddy rich he's um you know just trying to play like buddy rich i mean and the stories that i've heard about buddy rich like he was not a nice guy either same thing with miles davis i mean i'm a huge miles davis fan um love him um but like he was a jerk I mean, he was a misogynist and he like didn't treat people well and and like you hear about that. But then at the same time and, you know, Fletcher mentions Marsalis in this film. I mean, I've never heard anything bad about Wynton Marsalis ever. I mean, I feel like you hear that the guy's, you know, a nice guy, a kind guy. Same thing with Harry Connick Jr., you know, talk speaking in the jazz. Realm, I think. Um, you know. Yeah, Wes Montgomery is another. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Wes is one of my favorites. Uh, I love, <laughs> I love Coltrane. Oh yeah, um, yeah, man. Listen, I totally love. Uh, um, you were just talking about Miles Davis. I mean, I love Miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and listen, that's the tendency. Louis Armstrong was a really yep. great. Hey, listen, quick Louis Armstrong side bit. I don't know if uh-huh. you know this. It's it's out there. But okay, um, do you know why he was called Satchmo? I don't think so, so. Louis. Louis was adopted by a Jewish family when he was really? young and huh. he grew up and they called him little Satchmo because it meant his big cheeks, like chubby cheeks. Oh, wow. And that huh. was his nickname. And they That's gave him crazy. the opportunity to be able to go to school. And they saw his talent in music. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's just cool how it, it speaks to legacy adoption and how you can sure. change somebody's life and all that stuff. But look, oh, we wouldn't cool. have the great Louis Armstrong maybe right. without that. Right. Right. And so it, yeah, Listen, man, some of the greatest, some of the greatest musicians and artists and all that. that that's why they say, you know, be careful if you meet your idol or your, your, you know, <laughs> your fan oh. don't meet your idols or whatever, because you might be disappointed. Oh my gosh. But and, uh, yeah. Oh, I've heard tons of stories I, I, about people who have done that. Right. Like they're like, oh, yeah. I met so-and-so and, um, oh, I, they were such a jerk. They, I mean, I was telling my boys because, um, a few years ago, it's more than a few, it's been a couple of decades probably at this point, but like I actually met Michael McDonald, who used to be the lead singer of Doobie Brothers. Nicest yeah, guy yeah. ever. I mean, like yeah. I sat down at a table with him and, uh, you know, in the back, you know, backstage area. And he was just really kind and generous and, um, 
I mean, totally down to earth, not arrogant at all. On the opposite side of things, at the same concert that I was involved in, there was Vanessa Williams, and all she did was stay in her dressing room the whole time, and um, she, you know, kind of walked around with that, you know, swag and, and this air, and I was like, wow, I mean... Talk about two very, very different characters there, right? So, yeah, totally with you on that. Like, be, be careful well, if well, you want to meet somebody. <laughs> you know what's funny? What's even worse is when you meet people like that in the Christian music scene. I say Christian music, but, like, the Ugh. big bands. I mean, uh, there are some, like, because I was I ran the radio station for years. Yeah. There were some guys that were bigger than big, and they were, like, the most amazing people. And then there were some who were big and they were jerks or some who were like nothing and you're like really dude like oh. you know and and uh you're, you're amazed that i mean it's even worse in that realm because of the context right yeah but but Ugh. yeah like uh, I, I have a couple examples of those as well i mean there's some pretty cool yeah there's been some really neat um there's been some cool like stories that charlotte and i have had we've we've definitely met our fair share of different people or that we stay in touch with but um you know, one of the examples I'll give, I don't know if you, I, nobody knows this. I've actually never told anybody this at all. So I'm going to share it on, on air here. So one of my all time favorite musicians is Neil Sean from oh, yeah. Journey and Santana. I just told my boys that the else, other day. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, I, he, he follows my media. Like we actually talk to each other quite a bit and I've written That's him awesome. private messages and it's really him. He writes to me. So on Twitter, he follows my Instagram and what Neil does is he's always working, always working. He's working with Narada Walden right now. He's working with all these different, he works with Jan Hammer. He's doing all these projects all the time. Right. And so mm-hmm. what he does is during this whole pandemic period, he, he plays guitar and he, the way he practices is actually the way I do, um, makes some tracks and then just really works with them. And so what's mm-hmm. cool is he puts up videos every single day and it's for, it's not for him. It's for us just to, he just mm-hmm. invites us in and as yeah. people comment, but the thing is, it's been a while. Like I'll, I'll write to him privately or I'll, um, like I'll have recorded something and I'll actually send it over and he talks back with me about it. He gives me comments. He's That's like, man, awesome. that was really, really good. And you know what, what the point I'm making is there's a guy who's, I was really nervous to meet. Oh, I'm, I'm like, sure. I don't want to shatter <laughs> yeah. my yeah. perception, Yeah, but you know, and it wasn't one of those fanboying things. It was more of a, it started out a couple of years ago, just asking questions. Hey Neil, what were you using on this track on this mm-hmm. album in 73? What kind of gear? And he's like, Oh, it was an Echoplex and a Marshall 73, blah, 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 blah. It's cool. Right. I'm like, how do you even remember that? But anyway, my <laughs> point is that started dialoguing. And so now we've talked back and forth about a lot of stuff. And, and fortunately this is one of those people who's really engaged with yeah. fans. That's what yeah. matters to yeah. him. So, wow. so it's neat when that happens. It's it's cool when that happens. But there are a lot of times where you know, I mean, he definitely could be a diva. <laughs> so you know, there's people who you want to believe that in, and I and I I think that you know, even watching the movie Ray, I think Ray was very much like that. I think he mm-hmm. went through the period where he was he went through a diva phase and then came back around. Right now, from the sense from James Brown. Oh, who I love. Yeah, he, he's a diva. Oh, big time. <laughs> like, you oh, know what I mean? Like, yeah. And Chaswick uh, like, Bozeman did an amazing job playing oh, him, by the way. I mean, don't you love seeing movies like that when you go see it? I was in the theater and I'm just like getting down like to the whole thing. And you're like, you know, it's a whole other experience when you oh, go and see gosh. those. Yeah. You know, I mean, Walk the Lines, one of those great movies. There's so yeah. many, yeah. so many great stories. Oh, yeah. But I think jazz is one of those things where. Jazz is one of those things where musically it can be very snobby because it is a very 
difficult well, type and, of music to play. Yeah, and you've been around musicians for most of your life too. Like you know that. I mean, musicians are a different breed. I mean, they just are. I mean, I you know I'd thrown in the notes my um, <laughs> my my eighth grade music teacher, um, Mr. Macri, His name was, and I. I mean. I was brutal with this guy. I was a jerk even in eighth mm. grade. I mean, so, but like, I mean, he was hardcore. And and then, you know, the, the band teacher in high school, Mr. Minor, um, it's funny because on social media, I'm friends with a lot of fr- people I knew in high school. And, you know, they became really good friends with this band director. And, um, and I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, I kind of didn't like him very much. And I ended up dropping out of band because I just wasn't a fan. But, like, I latched on to the chorus teacher instead. But but it's just interesting that, you know, like you said, Joel, and I think, I mean, more so jazz probably than any other kind of genre, like, and stream, is that... Um, there, there Probably is like a jazz and, pro- and then what's developed into prog. Pro- like, you know oh, prog, I mean? like yeah. Any yeah. kind of proggy music, right? Totally, yeah. yeah. There's definitely that that air and snobbishness about it. And, and you see that in both Fletcher and Andrew in this movie, that they're, they've both kind of got that. And, um, and, you know, obsession again. I think one of the things that we see, and, you know, you're talking about ballet and dance earlier. Black Swan is another movie that, that kind of parallels yeah. this one, talking about, like, a little the more, obsessed... A little more uncomfortable, that one, but Oh, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. The obsessed, like, artist, right? But, like... Yeah. Towards the end of this film, you see just how obsessed Andrew is because he gets T-boned in a rental car by a truck... And somehow crawls out of the wreckage and runs off to this performance. And he's like bleeding all over the drums and he can't like. And yet there's a sense in me that goes, I I know why he's going. Like there's a sense in me going, I probably would do it too. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and as I was watching this with my boys, like Tucker, my baseball player, he's, he's like, I can't even watch this. I'm like, I could feel his anxiety from where I was sitting. Cause he's like, Oh my gosh, this is so painful to watch. I can't, I can't believe it. Like, Oh, Oh, this is awful. And, um, and yeah, I mean, but but that, and to some degree, to a lot of degree, I'd say, in order to be the best, you have to have that kind of a passion and drive. But again, the question that we've been asking throughout this episode, like, where do you draw the line? Like, how far is too far? How far is it too far to, to be pushed? And how far is it too far to let someone push you, you know? Five minutes. Yeah, how far is it to let someone push you? Because, again, the positive side of that is we do need to be pushed, right? Like, it is it is good for us, but it's how far. How much is too much? And how are we pushing people? Are we pushing them because we have their best interests at heart? Like, like it'd be different if he was coming, if Fletcher was coming at him with, you know, I see the potential in this kid, and I want to I wanna make sure he gets there, and eventually I'm going to let him know the why. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is it the, so? For example, the, the Miyagi approach is it right. the wax on, wax off, brutal hard work, grunt work stuff that he has to do, and I'm going to reveal to him why he was doing this. It's building the character behind him, or is it just because I find it fun to 
torture him. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh yeah. And 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 I think that that's 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 the difference. The motivation, torture, satisfaction, or yes, you know, you gotta you gotta do hard work to learn, right? And I think that that's a great. Again, talking about coaching, I mean, you know, coming from that Parcells tree, that's that's how Belichick coaches. You know, he's actually a pretty nice guy. I know he comes across with no emotion. Right, rough. I yeah. really, I really admire, I really admire him because actually he's quite funny and jovial. And if you watch him in some interviews, I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. recently, like two years ago, he was he he did a it was a special honoring of Lawrence Taylor, and they had it on a sports network, and he's okay. sitting there and they're telling stories. And man, he's laughing and he's telling all these stories about stuff and talking through and you could see like the joy of the memories, but it's such a different picture from when you just see him on the sideline or in a post press Mm -hmm. conference, right? Mm -hmm. There's a, but, but that's the way you learn from your mentors because, um, they're they're also, it's just another realm. Tom Coughlin was the same way. Uh You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. actually he was going to get let go right before they started winning the Super Bowls because he was too hard on the players and too old school. And they, the ownership told him, if you don't change, like you're out of here, even though he was winning. And so his wife had a talk with him and the next year he was like took one he was still hard line but he took mm-hmm. a little bit less like penalties on the time okay. and then he started to connect with the players one-on-one his okay. wife gave him this advice and it changed the whole team around That's and so crazy. it goes to show you that you can have the same drive and the same um passion to a thing but mm-hmm. if if people don't know that you care about them yes. you're never going to get uh, the best out of them at all yes. anyway yeah oh like, yeah They'll let you yes. push them if they know you have their best interests, right? right? Yeah. Well, and you know, you brought up Mr. Mr. Miyagi, and I, you know, for anyone who's been following Cobra Kai at all, too, you've seen the evolution of Daniel, not just through the films, but also through Cobra Kai. That I mean, and I think you just really said it well, Joel. In like you, kind of, you really emulate whatever you've been, what's been modeled for you, and so you think about the fact that part of the journey in Cobra Kai is, is Johnny working away from having had That's Kreese right. as his mentor. And part of even, you know, there's a little bit of that with, with Daniel that he's going to have to kind of realize that, yes, that's the way he learned, but there may be other ways. But, I mean... So, you, one- you saw all of season four? Did you see all mm-hmm. of season four? Yeah, yet? yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay, so so not to, not to dig into that, but that's kind of the conclusion they come to is... You know, sorry if you didn't see this too bad. He, he's they talk to each other and he goes, I realize that, you know, I'm always going to kind of be set in my ways. You're going to kind of be set in your ways. But there's merit to both. And our, our kids, our students, they need to they need to learn to find their own identity. Yeah. And that works best when we work together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. It's that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, and one of the things that I think in, you know, back to Whiplash that I, I think was really evident and one of the things that really struck me the most, even from a leadership perspective, is that whoever is the leader, director, teacher, coach, whatever, creates a culture. And that culture begins to be embraced and imbibed by every single person who is part of that culture. And so, um, I, I mean, I, I've seen this movie a bunch of times, just watched it like twice in the last couple of weeks, too. And um, I was so struck by how much, like how some of these other band members of Fletcher's were such jerks. I, I mean, 
the piano player after Andrew had lost his music, uh, the other drummer's music. He's like, don't put your effing hands on my music or whatever on my folder. And even the other drummer is like, like he's berating him. He's, he's like swearing at him. And, and I'm like, well, of course he's going to do that. That's what he's learned from his director, from the guy who's, who's leading him. And so it was a cautionary tale for me to say, golly, I, I am creating a culture in w- whatever my sphere of influence is. I'm creating a culture. And is that a good culture? Is that a bad culture? And if people start emulating me, I mean, I, I think back to Paul's words. I mean, I'm always struck by what Paul said is in Philippians or, or um, Ephesians. I can't remember which one, but he says, you know, the things you have heard and seen in me, practice those things. And I'm like, oh man, like that's a ballsy statement to be like, to be that confident in the fact that, hey, guess what? Um, I am so confident that I am being so Christ-like in my attitude that if I tell you to copy me, you're actually going to do it and it's not going to be a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, I, as you're talking, my eyes are widening because I'm, I'm agreeing with you and I'm saying to myself, whoo, you know, because culture is caught, not taught, yes. right? Oh, it's preach. caught and yes. not taught. And, and, and I'm laughing because I'm not even thinking about people that I'm leading. I'm thinking about my house. Oh, like, oh, oh, don't, don't, boy. I'm going to step on my toes too. <laughs> I, no, no, but as you're speaking, that's what I'm sitting here all being convicted. Oh. But, you know, I, I mean, listen, but John, honestly, like mm-hmm. I do, you and I, oh, yeah. we, we are, it's funnier because we are really quite similar, but mm-hmm. the, these whole kind of, these things, I know you know what I'm talking about. Like I mess up with my boys so many times yeah. and, and yep. they would tell you that I do. But at the same time, you have to remember like, I'll talk to them and say, you know what? Sometimes, guys, it's it's not always the words or the frustration. You know, I, I'll share with them why I was frustrated and I'll own my mm-hmm. stuff. That's the most important right. thing, first yes, of all. Absolutely. But secondly, but secondly, um, they see what you do and they see mm-hmm. the authenticity behind what you do. And that's the most important thing. How do you treat people? How do you care for people? What are the things that they see mom and dad actually showing their important investment? And, and John, mm-hmm. I will speak on this real quick. I was talking to somebody, you know, there've been a lot of families lately. And I know around our churches that have, that have left certain churches because they felt abused or thrown away or whatever. And, and now they're kind of camping out and, you know, this COVID world and then kind of what they're seeing politically everywhere and associating with Christian and all those layers. Right. So my point is, is that they have a lot of excuses on top of COVID and, you know, live stream and whatever. And the thing that I find I've talked with some people is, listen, I just want to give you one piece of advice. I don't I don't care what fellowship you become a part of or how you do that or, or how it generates, whether it's small mm-hmm. in a home, whatever. So the most important thing when you get there is don't give up on community because there mm. can be healthy community. And I said, because right now, while your kids are young, you met, you model what is the priority. Yeah. And if you show them that that is not a priority for you because you have to teach them that, mm-hmm. then the, I'm not talking about forcing them like, you oh, get up, you have to go to, you know, like legalistic, you got to go to church because you got to go to church. I'm not talking about that. But if you don't make that a priority, they'll yeah. never learn that to be a priority. And it's going to be a lot harder when they're 18, 20, they're not going to yeah. need it. Absolutely. And so, and then you will have done them a disservice. So that's, that's the one thing I try to tell them <clears> in a not condescending way is here's a piece of advice. Mm-hmm. 
it's important for you, but you model that. And I see so many people, John, I mean, I get what your mom and dad were saying about baseball. My parents, thank God in my town, we had two leagues. They didn't Mm -hmm. let me play little league because of the same thing. But we had a junior major league, which was a whole nother league was minor league, Mm -hmm. but they didn't play on Sundays and they weren't a Christian league or anything, but they made sure that they knew they had the foresight that there was this whole populace of kids who weren't able to participate. And so, you know, our games were like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, so I was able to be really involved and move up and be Mm -hmm. able to go to high school and play. So, you know, there, there is an importance. My mom, you know, I, I maybe have hated it when I was a kid, but my mom made a priority and my parents made a priority that, this is important to us. And she would say, this is important as a family that we do this together. And Mm. here's how it's translated, man. Yeah. There was one weekend, December 26th, we did an all online service so that we could all actually have a weekend off. Okay. And we were like, let's just give all of our volunteers a break and blah, blah, blah. And that was my one Sunday I was home and I remember we're hanging and Elias goes, are we, are we going to church today? And I go, no, man, I go, dude, this is my day off. I'm just hanging. We can watch it on TV. And he goes, okay. And then he looks at me and goes, but we're, we're not going to do this every week, right? I go, <laughs> no, why? He goes, because I don't like want to not be going to church. Wow. Yeah. And I'm sitting here going, no, seriously. I'm like, well, that wasn't because of me. No, but you know, it's like, it's, you know, we, 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 yeah. we also, because I'm like, I don't oh, even want to go. No, yeah, we, we haven't, we haven't. We haven't forced them, though. That's what we've right. been cognizant of. And I think you've probably done the same thing. We haven't forced them. Like, you got a gun. How dare you don't help? I want them to do what they want to do. If they wa- right. I give them opportunities. Like, mm-hmm. Eli- Isaac helps me with the puppetry program for kids. Yeah. That's how he's serving. Elias teaches the kids. And he, he goes, you know, the summer he did it. He was amazing. But it was all on him. Like, like you know, and Emmett's starting to help me with some things. But I want it to be, they see us model it. They see that we serve. I want it to be that they 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 do it because it's something they want to take on and be a part of, right? And yeah. so again, I'm just sharing that to say whatever it is, it could be something different, right? Whatever positive it is, you want to model that to your kids, not force them to to jump into it. But are we helping develop those habits? So it it makes me think that Andrew, our main character, definitely did not have a healthy dose of that in his life or was lacking something big time in his life. And here's a kid who's got all the talent in the world, you know, to all the potential and was put in the wrong place with the exactly wrong instructor. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, yeah. and not even to break down Fletcher's brokenness, but that's what you get, you know? And so I just think for all of our listeners out there, whatever you see potential in, whether it's somebody you're leading, whether it's somebody who's part of your business, or your company, whether it's somebody in your ministry circle, whether it's your own kids, mm-hmm. your family, like, Yep. Be cognizant that how you develop them now, like take a look in the mirror and I hope and ask yourself, am, am I putting them in good situations? And John, you've talked about this with coaches. It's the number one thing that bothers you with, with Tucker yep, is totally. if, if a coach, if you see a coach, it's not that you can't have a coach who's hard on him. It doesn't have to do with that. Oh yeah. It's, no. if, it's if they're not seeing, it's if they're not seeing the potential and they're, and they're abusing that. Yes, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's not healthy. It's not healthy correction. Then, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure because you probably ride him harder than anybody else. So it's yeah. not that. It's just yeah. what's the yeah. output, right? No, and I that's you bring up a really good point in the fact that you know, like there, again, it's balance. I mean, you want, and, and that's where you know, like even Tucker's coach this year. Like some people don't like him because they think he's hard on the kids, but like 
Tucker needs that balance between like if someone's going to be hard on him, they also have to follow it up with encouragement. And I think that's a lesson for all of us as well. Like the only time in Whiplash that you finally see a smile on Fletcher's face is in that last performance where Andrews basically said, I, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do because this is about me. And he just takes control at that point. And you don't see, I mean, brilliant cinematography in this too, because you don't see Fletcher's full face. You only see his eyes. And you can tell in that moment that his serious look turns to a smile. And, and at that moment, it's like they make eye contact with one another. There's an acknowledgement. And, and there's, that, there's almost a respect there now. Well, and the approval that Andrew has been looking for the entire film is finally there. And so, again, how how they got to that place, I wouldn't recommend it. But, um, but I, yeah, I think you, you kind of left it on a really good word, Joel, of just, yeah, how, like, think about how what we're doing. Do we want to be copied, you know? Do, do it, what would happen if someone, you know, there were little Johns running around or little Joels running around and, and you're like, okay. I'm picturing Army of Darkness here with Bruce Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. we just watched the other day, by the way, but anyway. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Dylan and I have been watching Ash vs. Evil Dead, so we just finished season one in that. So, yeah, I, we're, we're tracking together, brother. Yeah, El Jefe. El Jefe. Oh, my gosh. And El Brujo. Yeah, totally. Oh my oh, gosh, that's a great show. I, I was just looking. I'm, up I'm not recommending it. It's totally, totally, oh, totally violent and crazy, yes. but it's a oh, hilarious it crazy. show. Yeah, um, you know, J.K. Simmons actually won Best Supporting Actor for his role here, and if no other reason uh, to watch this movie, it's just to see his performance. Like between him and I think Miles Teller did amazing. I I, I understand from some of the research that. Um, He's a self-taught drummer, so um, which is pretty amazing considering that like he does a, a really well, good you know, job. But same thing with um, same thing with uh, I don't know if you knew this, but in La La Land, um, with Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, uh, Ryan Gosling, yeah, Ryan Gosling. That's their second movie together, by the way, because they're both in um, lo- what's the the love movie with? Uh, yes, Crazy Steve Stupid Carell. Love. I'm sorry, Crazy Stupid Love. Crazy, man, I love that movie. Holy so do cow! I. Okay, yeah. so anyway, man, I, we should talk about that sometime. But anyway, totally. we'll, we'll put that on the bookshelf. Um, but yes, yeah, so so in La La Land, you know, when I went and saw that movie with Charlotte, I had a big smile on my face from the entrance all the way through. Mm-hmm. A because I really oh. love musicals, but I felt like it just really captured and there's a positive note of you know there's heartbreak in that there's things that they use and opportunities but i think it's a little bit more positive picture of going for your dreams and kind of what that costs and talks about the purity of music and why am i doing Mm -hmm. it and why is she why is she going after acting but i don't want to get into that too much the point is the character he plays seb you know ryan gosling never played piano and he learned it for that movie oh that's crazy like and he's actually playing 90 percent of it in the movie yeah, which, which that is means, nuts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that mu- the music in that <laughs> movie is is phenomenal. I think so. Um, it, it is definitely, yeah. definitely. So you know, and and I think that's a good landing point. Is um, if if you see this one, check that one out. They're kind of yeah. like opposite bookends, but I think yep. they they have a bit of you know our directors, um, uh, Damien Chazelle's like basically his 
his personal influences in it. Personal stories sure. are part of it, right? And yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of those movies, John, where I've seen people go, because you've talked about this with a cat, you know, with awards. You're like, ah, you know, I don't get why they picked that. I've seen people go, I don't know what all the hype is around La La Land. And I go, yeah, you know what? You're just not somebody who likes musicals because you don't yes. get it. Yes. Like, oh, like yeah. that is not one of those where you go, oh, this is this is bad. You know, right. it's like, no, oh, yeah. if I could watch this on Broadway, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so anyway, th- those are the things I wanted to leave our listeners with is just good words. Who, who, who are you setting up? Are they modeling you or is it a good model? You know, who are you exposing your kids to also? Like who who are you allowing? Are, are you sacrificing their character for their, you know, I don't know, skill development, so to say, because the character is always the most important. Yeah. Well, and I, I, the last thing I'd say is this, that, you know, um, when at the end of the film, when uh, Fletcher and Andrew connect and they go out and have coffee together, Fletcher says to Andrew, I was there to push people beyond what's expected of them. And, um, and again, like in theory, that's not a bad thing. Like all of us, I mean, I've said this from a spiritual perspective, each of us needs some kind of spiritual trainer to help us to, to push ourselves to grow further than we'll be willing to do ourselves. So all of us need that in and of itself. In theory, that's not bad, but We've got to ask ourselves, like, how far is too far? Which is the question that Andrew says afterwards. And so I I would just leave people with that to say, if you're in doubt, like, either you pushing somebody else, somebody else pushing you, somebody pushing your child to a certain place, like, just ask. Ask that question. Ask of yourself. Ask of your kid. Ask of whoever it is and say, is this too much? Um, Don't just assume that because you're willing to be pushed to a certain level that somebody else is willing to be pushed to that same level. When in doubt, just ask, ask the question. So, um, good stuff. Um, Good awesome. and yeah, we, we may have to dive into La La Land sometime in 2022. It's so funny um, whenever whenever we do these shows, whenever we do these shows, we start coming up with like two or three other movies. We got to talk about that. Oh one. We got to talk gosh. about that one. Yeah, we're yeah. we're gonna we're gonna we've got a lot to bring to you guys this year, and we we have a whole music, I think multi episode we're gonna do and dive into some vinyl and some movies and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so it's going to be fun. Um, Thanks again for listening. Uh, As we've said before in past episodes, feel free to shoot us a line. Our email is podcastbetweentheframes at gmail.com. And then uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. That's uh, betweentheframes underscore podcast um, at both places. So um, check those places out too to see what's up and coming. And uh, we'll just keep trying to get episodes here. Shoot us a line. Drop us a message if you want to hear something specific as well. Uh, we would love to explore things that, um, that our listeners want to hear about. So um, thanks for listening. Thanks for being part. Thanks, Joel, as always. And uh, we hope that you'll join us again next time when we look between the frames. Thanks for listening to Between the Frames with John and Joel. If you like what you've heard today, please remember to click subscribe and give a share and a follow on social media. Each episode will look to dive into the deeper meanings behind movies, music, and culture as it relates to life and faith. Thanks for listening and see you next time.